Micah, along with other prophets, reminds us that, that, that weeping goes through the darkness of night, and then joy comes in the morning. There's a sense in which the greater the sacrifice, when there is victory at the, at the end, the greater, the greater the celebration. The most horrific catastrophe, tragedy our world has ever known was last century, it was World War II. And there, of course, Germany, Italy, and later Japan joined, in, joined into the what are called the Axis, Axis powers as they invaded China from the east with Japan. And of course, as Germany entered Poland and started pushing into Eastern Europe, been in some of those places since, and likewise began then to push west. And so the Allied powers, which were France and many others, but certainly England, later the United States joined that effort. Believe it or not, so did Mexico on the US side, and, or on the Allied side, and so did Brazil, South Africa, India, uh, China, of course, was fighting against the Japanese, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, this was indeed a world war, and nearly every nation in the world at that point became aligned with one side or the other, and virtually everyone is, was involved in that battle. How many were lost in World War II? By the time Hitler pulled the trigger on his revolver and committed suicide on April 30th, 1945, and Germany surrendered eight days later, May 8th, in fact, uh, of 1945. By that time, 60 to 80 million people had lost their lives, and, and millions and millions of other casualties, of course. And yet, when the end of that war came, that very day, in fact, that May 8th of 1945, declared VE Day, or Victory Europe Day, there was, there was immense celebration, rejoicing in the streets, of course, of Paris and London and Montreal and New York and Los Angeles, though Japan was to surrender a couple months later. But still, the rejoicing, the celebration, perhaps the greatest that we have ever known in the Western, at least the North Atlantic countries, that took place. Celebration. We celebrate the most when the sacrifice has been the greatest. Well, uh, as, as Pastor Carl mentioned, I, uh, my wife and I and our kids, we lived in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I would often walk many blocks in the middle of the city for one reason or another. Usually there was graffiti or political slogans or advertisements of one kind or another, but, but once in a while I'd be walking along and I'd notice there's sort of a design there. I'd stop and begin to look and realize this is just a tiny little part of it all. I need to step back, and sometimes going across the street, and sometimes going well down the street, or two or three blocks away, because some of these paintings on the walls of skyscrapers in Brazil were 30 stories high. And so to see the whole picture, one had to step back. Well, I'm an old professor in theology, so I'm going to ask you to step back with me today. We want to look at the big, big picture, God's cosmic plan in all of this. So, where do we begin? But at the beginning. I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis. Not quite the beginning. We'll go to chapter 3 as we step in there. I'd like you, and you may want to write this down, because it's, it's, it's something you can tell somebody by writing it on a napkin or, or just jotting it out on, on your hand with a pen. I'd like to talk about seven divisions. 
seven massive separations that have occurred as part of God's most astounding plan. Five of those divisions begin right here in Genesis chapter 3. And of course, Genesis 3, that's stomping ground for almost all of us. We know the scriptures well. Here, of course, the serpent entered in, raised the planted the seeds of doubt, and raised the doubt in Eve's mind. Did God really say, questioning his word, and then directly contradicting, you will not die? Verse 5, in fact, is pretty clear here, isn't it? For God knows, said the serpent to, to Eve, for God knows that when you eat from it, that tree, that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That promise continues in various religions today, doesn't it? But we step in then to see what happened when Eve, verse 6, did eat. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then, verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Five divisions at the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, we see these divisions that have marked humankind ever since. First of all, man divided from God. We, as God's creation made in his image for relationship, are now separated from the God of life, our Creator, the only one, in fact, in whom we find utter satisfaction. And yet, eating the fruit, they turned away. And so, suddenly now, God is walking in the garden, and His own creation made for relationship with Him, for fellowship with Him, and obedience to Him. Now they were hiding. And so, with this original sin, with this immediate defiance, a rebellion against God as Eve and then Adam ate of the fruit, we see that separation of God from man coursing all the way down to our day. Every person is separated from God because of that sin and because of as sin, like an avalanche, increases down through history because we sin against God as well. Division number one, man is separated from God. You're drawing this out. Put a little symbol of God at the top. Put a little symbol of man in the middle, and a little line between them. Between them, that's now now broken. The second division, separated from God. Now, man, meaning generic, man or humankind, is separated from himself. That is something happened here, didn't it? As we just read, suddenly now guilt, self-reproach, shame. This began to enter the, the human race as well. And so Adam and Eve, with eyes open, now seek to conceal their nakedness by sewing the fig leaves together, yes. But much more than that is going on as this guilt, as this conscience now, now pained, pained by, by our sin against God begins to, begins to affect all of what we are as human beings. We are not what God created us to be. We are all now 
abnormal. And so there's a breakage in what we are. We all, to varying degrees, have schizophrenias and paranoias and obsessions and what we were meant to be as a cohesive whole, as an integrated whole, is being torn apart. And so they seek to hide themselves from God and hide their shame. And down through history ever since, of course, that's what we do. We feel inadequate. We know our unworthiness. And so what do we do? We conceal our real being by trying to have a good appearance, keeping in shape or pretty face or the nicest clothes or the car we drive or the house that we have so that when people look on, they are impressed in some way by what we are in one way or another. And so the whole, the whole flow of, human, of the human race has to do many times with trying to regain some love, some significance that we've lost because we're no longer in relationship with our Creator. But something else happened as well as we enter into the text. Much more is here, of course. But one of the things, as God asked Adam what he had done, he said he listened to the voice of his wife, Eve was much more transparent. What is this that you have done? Verse 13. The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. She was pretty honest about it all, wasn't she? Well, the Lord God addresses the serpent, but my attention right now is at verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Stop right there. Painful pains or painful labor. The word in the Hebrew, <clears throat> some of you don't want to know this, but others might find it interesting, is chetzeb. The word for tree is chetz. It's almost the same. There's another consonant involved in the Hebrew. So that when Mary gives birth, or when Eve gives birth now, as she, at that moment of, of pushing that little baby out and the agony that's there even as new life is born, every time she gives birth, she's reminded of that tree. Chetz, that word we see 20 times in chapters 1, 2, and 3, 11 times in Genesis chapter 3 alone. Tree, tree, tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil. And of course, the tree of life was there as well. Interestingly, not only is the tree there and the pain, the word almost the same out of the same root, but we see even terms like hetzab means idol, and that kind of word group has a lot to do with pain and suffering and false worship down through the Old Testament, Eve's pain and childbirth. But when we talk about that second division, man from self, we're talking about also, finally, from dust you were made and to dust you will return. We die. Our spirit, our soul, our immaterial part is torn from our fleshly, physical reality. We die. We, at least in flesh, return to the dirt. And so, divided from God, broken in ourselves, separated with our inner being. There's a third division, and that is we are divided from one another. And of course, again, God asks Adam, and he says, it's the woman you put with me here in the garden. If you have mar marital struggles, be assured, it started with Adam and Eve and has never stopped. And family tensions and all the rest, we see this breaking as they both felt guilty one before the other, tried to hide themselves from each other as well as from God. 
enters in that division with gender in families. Uh, soon we see the first child ever born in the human race. Nine verses later, eight verses later, there is Cain, Genesis 4.1, is brought, to, brought into the world. And Eve rejoices, as we do when we have children. And in verse 2, Abel is born. And six verses later, we see Cain deceiving his brother Abel, his little brother, leading him out into the field to murder him. And when God confronts then Cain, he basically says, how do I know where my brother is and what do I care anyway? That's the way it's been ever since. As Cain goes out, finally establishes a city, he names after his son and the whole theology of the city, the idea that the city is this fortress to preserve ourselves and our own well-being and to create our own values that flows out onto Babel and Babylon and Nineveh and on from there. We are divided because of the fall from one another. There's another element that enters in here as well. And that is that we as human beings are no longer in paradise. We're no longer in Eden. Now we are divided from nature as well. Notice again, and we see the word pain again as well in verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, verse 19, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. Dust you are, Adama, in fact, in Hebrew, is the word for dirt or ground. Adam taken from that. So, uh, to dust you will return. We're divided from God. We're divided in ourselves. We're divided from one another. We are divided from nature. And so soon, Adam and Eve are expulsed from the garden, aren't they? And the, now, the, the struggle of survival, the fight for survival, enters the human race. And the ground produces thorns and thistles. Instead of, instead of rich crops and, an, and a life known in paradise, now we see a brokenness in this world. And there's a fifth division going on as well. We might say that's the division in nature itself. We're not told so much about that, but something changed. Something changed in the very, the very reality of nature. In Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65, we see verses about the wolf and the lamb laying down together, the lion and the yearling calf, and a child playing with a cobra and it not hurting the child, venomous snake. There may have been a paradise before. There's surely one promised for the future. Romans 8.20 talks about how nature, creation itself, is out for the revelation of the sons of God. And so as we look at the garden in this Genesis chapter 3, we see five divisions. Can you say them with me? Well, man from God, man from self, man from one another, man from nature, and nature from nature. And if you think about it, it is trying to overcome those separations, those divisions that have marked the human race ever since. That is the history of the human race coursing down to our day. And so today we have, what the last count that I saw, 11,500 different religions in the world. 
That doesn't include atheism and other philosophies. Philosophies say, well, God's not even there, so don't worry about it. That guilt you feel, it's okay. It's just your own hang-up. Forget God. It's not wrong. Do what you want to do. Or the religions of the world seeking some kind of reconciliation with this God. The secular world, what? Altogether, atheists are less than less than 2%, 1.8% of the world population. Those who say, well, I don't have a religion, I may be spiritual, that's another 8% or so. Total, that's about 11%. But that means that 88.5% of the rest of the world claims some kind of religion, and through that religion they try to be reconciled with God, or at least made right with the transcendent, like in Buddhism or something like that. People trying and trying and trying. And so we have mosques and synagogues and temples and churches and cathedrals and religious centers and Bible schools from grade school on up through seminary and divinity schools. There are major centers of study for Islam, for Hinduism. We have massive, massive things going on in the world. The last five or six weeks have seen 100 million people bathe themselves in the Ganges explicitly to wash away their sins. You see religion all over the world, swamis, gurus, imams, ayatollahs, mullahs, priests, monks, whether Buddhist or monks, nuns that are monks, uh, that are women. Uh, you, have, you have literally a hundred million people or more in the world engaged in trying to resolve this huge, huge breach between God and man. Now, what about the second division, divided from ourselves? How many are involved in psychiatry and psychology and clinics to help resolve our inner brokenness? Or medicine and dental and visionary? Uh, the list goes on and on and on of the trillions and trillions of dollars spent every year trying to resolve that second division, that inner brokenness of what we are. And so, and so we try to preserve life at any cost. We freeze our salmon. We, we hope for, uh, uh, we try to take away the pain of childbirth with our modern medicines today. And that's not bad, but we fight against this curse over our lives, the guilt, the pain, and finally death itself, the industries of funerals or of insurance or or we do anything we can to make life better for ourselves. And that's the battle of life, isn't it? But then that third division, if you think about that, man from fellow man, whether that's on a marital level or a boyfriend, girlfriend kind of level, or father or mother and children, or whether that's brother and sister as Cain and Abel, or whether that begins to expand and the crime in our society. So we have sheriff and police and constables and who knows how many others. And we have our prisons and jails and all kinds of rehabilitation centers of different kinds that try to somehow, somehow bridge the gap. And then there are racial differences. There are gender differences. There are age differences and the tensions between them all. And then there are national differences. And so we have armies and navies and air force and coast guard and, and a thousand other kinds of organizations that consume massive, massive funds 
like in the arm in arms industry and so forth. All of this to try to somehow hold at bay our enemies and protect ourselves. Man against man, that curse has entered into the human race on every side, and history is largely a history of wars, isn't it? And then our division from nature. Until the last 10 years, the vast majority of the world was agrarian. In many parts of the world, that is still the case as we fight for survival against drought, against flood, against locusts coming in and, and wiping out a crop. We fight. I'm an old farm boy, so I know this is absolutely true. I worked 300, year, uh, 300 hours one summer just spraying Canadian thistles on my dad's farm because you can't kill them by chopping them off. They sprout out of the ground now three or four at a time because the roots go down three or four feet. Well, the earth has that curse upon it. And so as we try to survive, we build our dams. Sometimes we seed clouds to try to provoke rain. Uh, we try to control nature, the forest fires, or with herbicides or in uh, insecticides. And yet we don't always do a very good job with our pollution, our nuclear waste, our resources draining one thing after another. And of course, nature itself also has that brokenness. We have our earthquakes, we have our two tsunamis, we have our tornadoes and hurricanes, and what about that almost every week on the news. And so these five divisions, man from God, man and himself, man with one another, man from nature, and nature from nature, these define in many ways human history, don't they? Five divisions of the fall. And that's why, most extraordinarily, the sixth division I find utterly, utterly astounding. What is the sixth division? It is when the Son of God became incarnate and he assumed a human nature and he did so in part to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, the God-man, became our substitute. Jesus Christ, think of it when he hung on the cross, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before that, not my will, but yours. And as he hung on the cross, though there are many mysteries involved, for God is one, and yet here we see, like at no other point in all eternity, the Son and the Father seems to no longer, there seems the fellowship, the koinonia that God himself knows seems to be broken. As Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is just astounding. And yet we know from the scriptures that this is the very lamb from before the foundation of the world. This was God's plan. The son came forth for this very reason. And yet he becomes sin for us. He is our substitute in the absolute sense. So he experienced what all of us experience in some sense, that brokenness even with the father, though we are at the edge of mystery when we think of that. And as he was there, and as the, the veil that hid the Holy of Holies in the temple was torn from top down to bottom, and suddenly the Holy of Holies, where priests could go one priest once a year, was now laid bare in the temple in Jerusalem at the very hour of Christ's crucifixion. And there he was, hung on a tree, the last Adam, the only innocent one in all the human race, and he is there dying for us. He wasn't broken in himself, but at that hour he experienced with the torture beforehand and the flogging 
and all the rest. And then on the cross, as his spirit soul was torn from his body, as he laid down his life for us as the absolute, perfect, again, Lamb of God. And you think, there he is on the tree, where one, if hung on a tree, is cursed. And as we read in Isaiah, please God to bruise him for our iniquities. That sixth division of all cosmic history now is absolutely astounding. That our, that God's love for us and his proof of his holiness should come into, what do you say, God in that intimate of way that even the Son bore the wrath of God as he was on the cross. And there he was as he died physically as well. And he created the world, yet the world knew him not. He came unto his own, John 1. Came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came to the Jews, and the Jews rejected him. His own brothers and sisters did not believe in him. And then his own disciples, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter had said, Lord, I'll die for you, just hours before, he denied Jesus three times by the time the cock crowed in the dawn of the morning. And so even those sworn allegiance, with allegiance to Christ in that hour abandoned him. Many people die in this world. Jesus was almost all alone, isolated, reviled by the religious leaders. John was there, Mary was there, some were there, certainly others from a distance. But Jesus experienced that third division, man from man in our place. And you think about man from nature. I mean, Jesus was crowned with a crown of what? Thorns. Thorns take you right back to Genesis 3, and what comes out of the ground because of our sin now is placed on Jesus' head as a mockery, a crown, and beat on his head. And he's given bitter wine vinegar to drink. That, his first miracle was the good wine, the promise of a, of a millennia, of a kingdom of God to come, and now given the bitter dregs of the worst that could be imagined. Jesus suffered that division from nature as he hung on the cross as well. And what about nature itself? Even the early church father Athanasius said, as Jesus hung on the cross, look at nature. Here is the creator. It's as though nature is trembling before God. There's an earthquake. The sky turns black as night. We know now there was a full eclipse over Jerusalem at that hour. As from 12 to 3, it became as night. The earthquake, the rocks shook, the dead came forth from the grave. It says, all, it says as though all creation is trembling before realizing what is happening as the Savior, the Creator, the Logos is dying on the cross. And so in Jesus Christ, we see all five divisions as he in this sixth mysterious division, in some sense, as he becomes sin for us, as he becomes that one by his death on the cross that is the source of salvation, of healing for all of these separations and brokenness. And by simple faith in Christ, we are restored to our Lord as sons and daughters now of the living God. We begin to be sanctified. Our relations with others in the local church, often in family, begin to heal. These five divisions begin to see preliminary healing as we then await a greater healing uh, as Christ returns.
But I spoke at the beginning of seven divisions, and there is one more. We're divided from God, broken in ourselves, divided, separated from one another, separated from nature. Nature is broken. Jesus was separated from the Father in some sense as he died for our sins on the cross. But the seventh division is right there at the cross as well. You'll recall both of the other ones hung on crosses began by reviling and cursing Jesus as he was in the middle. But then one turned and said, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And, and revoked, uh, they rebuked the other. He says, we deserve this, but he's innocent. He believed that Jesus was king of a kingdom and that he would inaugurate that kingdom and that kingdom was to come. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What is the seventh division? It is between those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and those who do not. And that cross sits in the middle of all of humanity and has ever since between those who trust the Lord and those who refuse him. I wonder where you are today. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior and God. There is the first Adam through whom we lost it all and have perpetuated ourselves that heritage. And there is the last Adam who at the cross, almost paradoxically, won the final victory. And it is in that victory, those who love the Lord, who know him by his grace, it is in that victory that we rejoice. Our celebration because of the last Adam's victory should be great. It will be eternal. And finally, uh, what our Lord deserves for what he has done through the cross. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, your eternal son, who in your grace has come into this world, taken up all that we have lost in Adam and shattered ourselves and restored it. First of all, at the cross and as he will return again to set all things right as he establishes his kingdom in this world. And so with that, we worship you. It is astounding. We, we honor and praise and glorify your name, and we celebrate in that victory today. Thank you for what you've done in this midst at Grace Redeemer Community Church. And thank you for what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.